Sports Interaction, Canada Sportsbook. Welcome to Game Over Montreal, and just like we all expected, somebody whispered into the ear of the Winnipeg Jets this morning that it was the 2021 Stanley Cup playoffs, and uh, it felt a lot like that playoff round between the Montreal Canadiens and the Winnipeg Jets, where everyone expected the Jets to stomp the Canadiens, and the Canadiens came out and clowned on them for four straight games. Connor Hellebuck wasn't able to stop the uh, dynamic force that is, as requested of me by the chat already, Daddy, the nickname for uh, Evgeny Dadadnov, apparently, from the Montreal Canadiens Twitter account. They call him Daddy, so we'll call him Daddy too. We have a great show for you tonight. Rachel Dory is going to join the show. It's going to be super fun. We're going to get into some nitty-gritty stuff. We're going to talk about some prospects, and we're going to talk about this crazily entertaining game from start to finish from your Montreal Canadiens. But before we get too deep into it, think you know the way it's going to go. Make your bet with Sports Interaction, whether it's hockey, football, or basketball. Sports Interaction has you covered. Bet pregame, live in play, or on one of our many prop bets. Sports Interaction makes it easy to deposit, play, and cash out. Join now and see all sports betting has to offer. Want to bet? Head to sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. That's sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. 19 plus, please play responsibly. All right, let's welcome in Rachel. How are you today, Miss Dory? I'm doing well. I've got good Wi-Fi today, just like the Montreal Canadiens. So things are things are on the up and up. How are you? I'm doing great because I expected after... A few pretty good games from the Montreal Canadiens after losing Jake Evans, UL Armia, and Uri Slavkovsky, having a bunch of kids called up today from the Laval Rocket against the best team in the West, that this was going to be, you know, a five, six, seven to one kind of game. And it wasn't. Uh, I thought it might have gone that way when Kyle Connor scored first because Kyle Connor always kills the Montreal Canadiens. But no, this was a very, very good game from a team that has been playing very well and maybe a Jets team that didn't take them seriously for the first 50 minutes. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, it was also a super entertaining game, like you said. Uh, I felt like it was almost river hockey, and the Montreal Canadiens out-hockeyed or river hockeyed the Winnipeg Jets. And for me, um, I think you and I are similar. We really like fun hockey. And when you have injuries, you've got to call up kids from the minors. Uh, you usually get some mistakes, and that leads to fun hockey. Um, but I thought, on the whole, um, Montreal absolutely deserved to win tonight. They were the better team. It's not like uh, Winnipeg won on the back of Connor Hellebuck or Montreal won on the back of Sam Montembeau. Like, I really just thought that the game went the way that it should have gone, which is the fact that Montreal outplayed them from pretty much minute 55 or game, like, minute five to minute 55 that was pretty much it for me yeah i I would tend to agree and you know i i always approach this from like a realist perspective i don't need to come in here and and uh pump the montreal canadians up if they play poorly we'll say it but this was a a really strong performance against a team that should have been able to knock the canadians into next week right we talked on the show recently about how the canadians one of their big struggles has been Teams that forecheck heavily, uh, they really struggled against the Seattle Kraken, and they really struggled against the New York Islanders. The Jets are a pretty strong forechecking team, a, a good cycle team, maybe better at cycling than forechecking, but teams that are able to create long offensive zone possessions, get the Canadians running around, 
And the Jets just weren't able to do that tonight. So as much as I want to give a lot of credit to the Canadians overall, I had to take away some credit from the Jets because they did not bring it tonight. I agree with you. I think you're probably right in that they took them maybe a little bit lightly. Um, I've watched quite a bit of the Winnipeg Jets just because I think that they've been uh, one of the teams to kind of watch this year, especially when they were doing it without Shifley. Um, obviously, Josh Morrissey has been been great for them this year. I really think that they just came in and kind of thought that they were, no matter how they played, whether it was river hockey or their regular Winnipeg Jets kind of structure hockey, that they were going to be able to win. And and that just wasn't the case. Um, and I think a big reason for that is, is Winnipeg is one of those like bigger, more heavy teams when you think about it. And tonight they got exposed because Montreal's speed completely outmatched them outside of the top line where you've got Dubois, um, Ehlers, and Connor, and I'm sure we'll talk about Pierre-Luc at some point. But I thought Montreal completely outskated them, and, and that can really interrupt something like the cycle, because your, your ability to jump plays, if you could read the play, um, is there when you have that team speed. And so for me, that was one of the keys in this game. Yeah, and in like recent seasons, I would say that physical aspect of the Jets would essentially go unanswered by the Montreal Canadiens. But something that you mentioned before the show that you wanted to talk about and that he gave us a reason to talk about him, Arbor Jacki. Whether you're calling him Wi-Fi or the Jack Hammer or the Sheriff, he was huge tonight. I believe before the Jets kind of like wound it up at the end of the score effects, I don't know at the end of the day what his... Uh, yeah, okay, he led the Canadians in uh, possession. So, again, a really strong game from him. I know he was playing with Mike Matheson, which probably helps a, a fair amount in terms of carrying the puck through the ice. But from the beginning of the game, he was continually lining up Lowry for whatever reason. He just keyed in on Adam Lowry, and then at the end of the game, uh, Lowry tried to get back at him after he went at Shifley, and they had a little tussle there, two big guys. But Arbor Jacki continues to show no fear of reprisal in taking numbers and taking guys out. This guy's going to be, if he's not already, a complete fan favorite. Even after his fight with Adam Lowry, you see him going like this with the, the logo. That's going to endear you to the fans immediately in Montreal. And you show you're, you're proud to wear that that uniform and they're going to jump on the train. But I think Arbor Jacka is kind of a this case where um, he was, his development was really hit hard, um, by the COVID pandemic. He wasn't able to play. He was working at Costco. Um, and Montreal was able to identify that he had certain traits. And when I talk about certain traits, I'm talking about the off ice stuff, everybody knew he could skate it while he was in Kitchener and everybody knew he had a big booming shot. It wasn't a secret, but I think it speaks to Montreal's research off the ice that they knew that they had found something here for Adam Nicholas to work with uh, to turn into the player he's become. Arbor Jacki, like I remember reading scouting reports on this guy and every single team to me that was interested in him was a team that had actually sat down and, and interviewed him and talked to him about his work ethic and, and the things that he believes in. And, and the fact that Montreal kind of won the race for him, I think is a testament to the fact that one, they've really beefed up the development program and two, that he's gotten in the lineup this quickly is another testament to the fact that it's working. And so Montreal's really showing that they they know what to do with young players now. They're not going to rush guys. I'd probably play Slavkovsky in the AHL, but 
with Arbor Jack, I, they've it's found money. It was free. And and for me, I think he's a fantastic fit there. It's probably not going to be very cheap for very long. So um, probably should enjoy that while you can. Yeah, and credit where it's due. That was actually a Bergevin move, getting Arbor Jack. I, I don't know if you'd necessarily develop the same pathway if Bergevin was still in charge, <laughs> considering they go didn't no. develop a defenseman <laughs> for 10 years. But hey, Caden Gooley, Jordan Harris, Arbor Jackai, they were all technically Bergevin moves at one point or another. So kudos to Mark Bergevin for rebuilding the Canadians' defense and uh, Kent Hughes and Jeff Gorton taking advantage of it and making the best out of those players. Um, Jackai, you know, <laughs> there were comments here saying he picked a guy early and just stuck with him. <laughs> it's true and there's Trizak in the comments is just like continually trying to get me to call Dadanov daddy and he, he's saying <laughs> he's saying I should say thank you thank you daddy <laughs> Dadanov <laughs> Jesus this is already off the rails we've but, been going for what like 10 minutes and we're just well off the rails already yeah getting way off the rails completely here but uh, it was an extremely fun game and I feel like that whole you know, pulling the jersey thing, and I'll do the same thing for SDPN. Uh, it kind of brings it back to, I don't know if you watched it at all, Rachel, but when P.K. Subban was honored by the Canadians, which was this, like, it was 100% a PR move, right? They're not retiring his jersey. And they shouldn't. Not, <laughs> and no, no, I mean, he, was, he wasn't here long enough to get that kind of honor for the Montreal Canadiens, but it was such a smart move because... It brings him back into good graces within the organization when there was a relationship that was fractured there. And it kind of like heals old wounds in the fan base, which like being part of the whole Montreal thing, I noticed from both myself and people around me on the internet that the fan base after that trade was shattered. Probably not yeah. quite in two, but there was a huge percentage of the fan base that was just like not following anymore. And I got tons of messages, tons after that game where PK came back, where people were like, that's all I needed. That was closure for me. I can come back and be a fan now. I can cheer for this team and not feel guilty about it. That I'm like, you know, turning my back on PK Subban, who like brought me into the game. People who people who are people of color, who didn't really care about hockey before, who are attached to it now. But it also had ripple effects on the team. That game against Nashville was probably like, especially the start, the best they played all season, and yeah. they've been continually playing well since that moment. And Arbor Jacky doing the crest thing—that's a PK Subban move. So as much as people like to spread talk about how, like, oh, you know, players on the team didn't like him back then, I'll tell you one thing: the players on the team, they felt the presence and what it means to be a special player in this organization when he came back and got that standing ovation. And saw like the words that he said in that speech. You know, Uri Slavkovsky memorized a portion of the speech and like repeated it to reporters afterwards. Bringing back players that are special to the organization, even if it's just on the surface level PR, it matters. It, it really does, and I think um, like in Montreal specifically, there is no hockey team that does pomp and circumstance like Montreal, and they do it really well. Um, and for me, like the way that PK Subban trade happened, um, I thought it was really poor. And the whole Michelle Terrian triple O five thing, that was absolute nonsense. Like there was just a lot of it that screamed 
not great. And I'll call it what it is. It, it seemed like thinly veiled racism. There were some dog whistles going on. <laughs> yeah. And especially when P.K. Subban was so good in the community and is still an active member in the Montreal community, I think it's really important that as an organization, Montreal is brings him back to allow fans to celebrate him. And even... Carey Price, I'm, I haven't been able to say this because the situation that I've been in the last few months, but I really thought that Montreal did a fantastic job bringing Carey Price out for the home opener. And then to do it again and to allow that triple low five to occur in front of everybody, give everybody that kind of like last chance to see that because we may never see Carey Price in a Montreal uniform again. I thought that was really well done. And whether it was marketing or whoever, it was a very good decision because like you said, there are people of color who kind of felt like they couldn't be fans or they shouldn't be fans. Um, and this is kind of a way to say, you know what? We understand we we messed that up. We're a new regime and, and we're going to fix that. It's not dissimilar to kind of what other hockey organizations have done to bring in um, people have or players who have been hard done by the organization by previous ownership or previous management. Um, I thought it was really well done. And, and like you said, they came out absolutely flying against Nashville, flying against them. And they've kind of just kept it. And I think what it does, Andrew, is you have a bunch of young players on that team, right? You've got Nick Suzuki. You've got Cole Caulfield, Yuri Slavkovsky, Arbor Jacki, like Jordan Harris, Justin Barron. Then you go on and on. And all it does is show them and motivate them. Hey, if I'm this good in Montreal, look how you get treated. Yep. You're treated like a king. So. Especially if you're giving back to the community, right? And being involved in all that. It it makes a it makes a difference. Uh, there was a comment in the chat from Kay saying, the last triple low five made me cry, not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I got a little bit emotional during that whole ordeal, when, especially when PK brought like Mila out and had the crowd chanting her name. The fact that he made his moment about a kid who needed to be lifted up just... Never change, PK. Never change. And I also never, ever, like, I've worked, obviously, in hockey, and I worked for an organization that he played for. Um, This nonsense about it's all about PK Subban, he's a selfish guy, like this, that, and the other. Do you think somebody who's selfish makes their return to Montreal about a kid if they're really a selfish person? I don't think so. So I don't really want to hear that anymore. You're just, you're telling on yourself at that point, in my opinion. For sure. All right, we'll move on from PK just because I feel like we could continue talking about that for an hour and a half and people will be like, what about the game? Uh, (laughs) I will say one person that I really want to shout out tonight, and I don't think he necessarily stole the game because the Canadians gave him the run support to to close it down, but Sam Montembeau, over his last three games, has gone head-to-head with Sorokin, Shesterkin, and Hellebuck. And over that time, he has a 9.52 save percentage. And Watching Montembeau last year, and I still think he's a little bit chaotic at times, but compared to last year, the step he's taken, and I know part of it is not having a hand that needs surgery, but it's <laughs> the control in his skating, his ability to look through traffic to find pucks. He has taken such a huge step. And you know, small sample size, of course, you're not going to look at these three games and say, like, oh, well, he's as good as those guys. No, not at all what I'm saying. But and small sample size this season entirely, right? He hasn't played that many games. Yeah, you're but also based... not being like Vesna, like <laughs> exactly, right? We're not taking it to that level. But 
from what I'm seeing from Montembeau this season, I'm seeing a very solid NHL goaltender who could maybe be a 1B in a good situation. I think that's found money for the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, like I think Montembeau is at, at a minimum right now with what he's shown this season, a capable backup. He is absolutely shown that he is a capable backup. Whereas when he originally came in, it was like, whoa, what is going on here? But he's shown that he can take those steps. And once again, the Montreal development staff deserves a ton of credit for that. And I think so does Martez St. Louis, because the quickest way to ruin a goaltender and especially a young one. And let's face it, he is a French Canadian in Montreal, so it happens a lot quicker uh, yep. The quickest way to do that is to throw him to the Wolves. And I thought that St. Louis has done a really good job of protecting him. Even though Montreal has not been a good team, he has done a good job of not putting him in situations that are going to completely destroy his confidence and ruin his development. So I think the organization as a whole deserves a lot of credit. And it kind of goes to show you that when a player is healthy and maybe doesn't need surgery of any kind, that they're probably going to play better. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And he like he gutted through it last season as a favor to the organization, essentially, because Caden Primo was the backup at that time. Jake Allen was injured, and Primo was like, man, he was getting shelled. It was it was sad to watch Rachel. Like I felt yeah. so bad for the kid because he was clearly not ready, and the team was so bad that it it was honestly just brutal to watch his confidence just get drained out of him you could see it like leaking into the ice it was awful so Montebo just continued to play while injured and the Canadians went out and got um the Hamburglar for a stretch there and he actually played really well before they traded him I think to new no where did they trade him New Jersey I, don't, I feel like he retired did he not he, he retired uh halfway through this season yeah a couple weeks ago I think I think he went to the KHL and I guess they decided that it wasn't worth it to stay over I'm there. I'm not much. sure that I would want to be over there right now. <laughs> Me either. No, yeah. it'd have to be a whole lot of money. Life changing. And even then, money. it's like, how do you even know you're getting it? That's also true. But yeah, it, it's it's been a really fun journey to watch Montembeau go from a guy who looked like a deer in the headlights on a very terrible Montreal Canadiens team to really the calm, uh, the calming presence on this relatively terrible Montreal Canadiens team, even though they're playing really well right now. We all know what they are. But aside from Montembeau... they're playing themselves out of the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. Although, like, you think Florida so? Be... I think they are. I don't, I don't think so. But I also don't... Well, I what I'm saying is, is like, they're not giving themselves the best shot at Connor Bedard. They're not going to finish last. No, they're I not going to... Well, I mean... Right? So they're going to have to win a lottery with, like, maybe 6 or 7% odds to get him. Um, and so like, I think, I don't think it's a negative though, because I think when you're in a situation that Montreal's in, where you have a guy like Nick Suzuki, Cole Caulfield, Arbor Jack guy, Montembeau, like you have these pieces and you can't consistently say we're going to be bad because then that destroys all of the progress that you've made with them. Yeah. Then you add in the fact that the draft this year is going to be really good. And so, yes, obviously everybody wants Connor Bedard, but if you pick in the top four, you're going to be just fine. And even then, like, if you pick in the top 10, you are getting a better player than anybody last year. Like, you, it's that deep. And that's not a knock on 
Slavkovsky or Shane Wright or anybody. It's, it's just, just a better draft year. It's just it's it's probably going to be the best draft for my money, at least since 2015, if not since 2003. Wow, you go the 2003 route. My model has way more um, not only players that are going to make it, but like impact and top six or top four defensemen expected in this draft than like any draft since 2003. That's how good this draft is. And I'm not saying that that's how it's going to go, but if this is the year where you can kind of afford to say like, okay, the player we're going to get at 10 is going to be still a really good hockey player. It's this year. As long as you don't step up and do something stupid, like you'll be fine. Yeah. I think everybody wants Connor Bedard, of course. Right. Like, and I, I do think that it's a long season, right? I know the Canadians have the toughest schedule of any team in the second half here. So they're going to lose some games, but they're not going to be able to get lower, I don't think, than like Arizona, who are 10 points behind them. <laughs> it seems like oh, oh. pretty wild. But I expect Vancouver to pass them, uh, coaching strange notwithstanding. I know we're not going to talk about Vancouver. Uh, I expect San Jose to be in and around where they are, just because San Jose's underlyings continue to be pretty strong and Montreal's are pretty terrible and the special teams are pretty terrible too. So like I would eventually the caveat, they're going to go on a, on a poor run. Right. I would expect, I would say this, the caveat with San Jose is I would agree with you as it stands now, but if San Jose trades Carlson and or Meyer, mm, all bets are off because that's holy true. moly, you trade your top two scores and you might as well just like not show up at that point. Like it, it would be, I think the Carlson move is obviously a lot harder to make, but I could absolutely see them moving Timo Meyer. And that is a, you're taking your best forward out of the lineup. Like that's yeah. a huge issue for, with any team. And so I think, yeah, you're, you're kind of right. They're in that area. I would say I'd expect Montreal to pick between seven and 11. They could use that lottery. They could move up. I just don't expect them to pick one unless all bets are off if any of Suzuki Caulfield kind of get injured long-term, which right. I don't want to happen. Then everything's on the table. And speaking of Caulfield, he's just short. of uh, This is the 82nd game under Marty St. Louis. So he scored 48 goals in those 82 games, just short of 50 for those counting at home. He almost got there. It's not pretty quite. Pretty he's- darn good. I was told small guys can't play in the NHL, though. Yeah, especially when you're the one guy that every team keys on to check, right? Because it's not like the Canadians have had secondary scoring for the rest of the season. And I know, hey, secondary scoring did it for them tonight. We all knew eventually the guys who were shooting 1% and 2% were going to get some goals. But uh, it all happening at once was a little bit unexpected. Yeah, and I think, like, is there a better coach for Cole Caulfield than... Martin St. Louis? Like no. There, there's no. probably not, right? Small no, I mean... guy that has, like, the best career of any small guy in the last, like, generation coaching small. Like, that's it's a pretty good match made in heaven right there. Like, I imagine at some point if the Canadians don't release some sort of, like, video of the two of them, like, walking around being best buds, like going to the gym together and doing like leg presses at the same time and like measuring who has the bigger tree trunk legs. Like you, yeah. you got to do it. Give us something like to the two, <laughs> to some like buddy cop drama or something that they can put together with the two of them. We need it. It's just fun. But uh, 
yeah, the great content. This we're writing stuff for you, Montreal Canadiens. Just take it from us. Um, I will say this: the uh, the trade bait that the Canadians have is not high end for the most part this season. But I keep on hearing from every insider that Joel Edmondson is going to get a first round pick, <laughs> and depending on the team, it's going to be a twenty twenty three like lower end uh, uh, first round pick. So I look at the whole lower chance for number one and then you add the florida pick which i still think they're extremely unlikely to make the playoffs even though their underlings are okay there's the paul maurice factor and they just have so many teams around them that they'd have to jump over you know like i I expect the senators to be better is the best division in like (laughs) Mm -hmm. not even having that discussion like it's it's so silly it's so silly. So yeah, I, I'm with you. I think they're in tough. It's just so, so much ground to make up, right? Yeah, they're. I think and this morning when I checked, they're like plus one eighty to make the playoffs. Like that's not good. No, <laughs> no, it's not. And you have those like if you have three picks in the first round, even if you're not getting Connor Bedard in this draft, that's a hell of a haul. If they make those picks and develop them well, and everything's an if until it happens. That's a pretty good start, especially after, like, I think the draft last year, I mean, I know cool. Slavkovsky has not been amazing, but what the Canadians pulled off in that draft in terms of prospects is very impressive. Um, Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I have not been able to say this publicly. Um, I think Montreal had one of the best drafts of all last year. Like, Lane Hudson, disgusting. He's so good. I He was one of my sons. Him and Seamus Casey, I was like, yes, please make this happen. I actually made a bet with somebody that Seamus Casey was going to go in the top 50, and he did. And then I bet that Lane Hudson was going to have a better season than a, a a different defenseman that this particular person was advocating for ahead of him. I'm also currently winning that one. But, like, Owen Beck, great pick. Uh, I think getting uh, Cedric Gadon late, was also a good pick. That's a really good lottery card to have. Um, then you've got Philip Machar, I believe. And he, I that pick, I thought he was taken a little bit too high, but I still think he's going to be a good NHL hockey player. And at that point, like, you're pretty happy with that. But like you said, if you're going to have two, you're definitely going to have two, but if you're going to have three first round picks this year, just don't Boston it. Just because you have, <laughs> just because you have three picks, doesn't mean you need to reach for a dude. Like, don't do what New Jersey did. Like, just don't do that. Just step, make your list as if you have one pick. And then go up there and pick the guys as they go. And you know what? If the guy is two picks behind, then he's two picks behind. Maybe you trade back. But the Montreal Canadiens have a really good opportunity here uh, to get a ton of prospect capital. Um, I personally would not be giving up a first round pick for Joel Edmondson in the same no, way. No, I, I wouldn't would either. Not have done that for Ben Sherratt. Certainly not unprotected. Oh, God. Um, yeah. Like if I'm, I got to be honest with you. If I'm a contender and I'm trying to get a piece that's probably going to help me, I'm going to spend my first round pick on a guy like Andre Kuzmenko before I'm spending it on a guy like Joel Edmondson. Yes, but 100%. Y- you just absolutely know that Edmonton is not going to want to pay the price for Jacob Chikrin, even though they absolutely should. 
and they're gonna end up trading for Joel Edmondson. Like I, you just know that's gonna happen. And you know that the gap between what Jacob Chikrin would go for and what Joel Edmondson will go for is not big enough to cover the talent gap. And like no. I've been <laughs> kind of forgiving of Joel Edmondson recently because I I feel like we have to put in context what's happening with him this season. Like this is not the Joel Edmondson that we know over the last couple of years. And like, yes, he was carried by Jeff Petrie, but he was making quick decisions with the puck. He was a good support player this season. He's just been really struggling to find his game with the back injury that he's been dealing with for over a year now and losing his father last year. I mean, we don't know if that's a factor, but like that can cause like all sorts of things in your life to go a little bit haywire. Right. So I have a tough time giving too much criticism to the guy, but even at his best, a first round pick is a lot. And Jacob Chikrin is so much better than Joel Edmondson at his best that it's wild to balk at paying for that guy and be like, what? Well, we'll pay for like almost half as much for this guy. It's just, <laughs> it's so Oilers that I expect it to happen. But apparently there's a bunch of teams in it, according to like LeBron and Chris Johnston. And there's no reason not to believe that. Like I, as somebody who like just came out of a front office, I 100% believe that he might get a first round pick. Like a hundred percent. Like I, I wish I could share some of the conversations that like I either heard about or was part of at the last trade deadline, because like my head almost exploded. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, Oh, this player could garner this. I'm like, there is no chance of that happening and then lo and behold i'm like what are what is going on but supply and demand right there's not a ton of big men who skate and cross check in front of the net this is true there's also not a ton of jacob chikrin that's also true who is legitimately like one of those guys who's actually hard to play against like Like, he has a great stick good positioning pushes the puck up the ice the right way. I could totally see this being a scenario. You're going to have contenders that want to add at the deadline. Um, Edmonton's going to be one of them. Toronto's going to be one of them. Uh, Tampa's going to be one of them, although the rumors are in that they're in on Luke Shen. Um, I could see Winnipeg being one of them. And here's basically what's going to happen. Everyone's going to try and get the best guy available, which is obviously Jacob Chick. Right? Then they might take a run at Eric Carlson and whoever else might be. Then they might go to Luke Shen. And when they swing and miss on those guys, the Montreal Canadiens are going to be left with Joel Edmondson if they play their cards right. And then it's going to be a bidding war. And that's how they're going to get their first round pick. When, when teams swing and miss on the really big prizes, they circle back and inevitably end up overpaying. That's exactly what happened with Florida last year and Ben Sherratt. They wanted somebody else, missed, and ended up paying like a, a fireable, of, just a fireable <laughs> offense price, and good on Kent Hughes for that. But like that is a fireable offense. Yes, hundred percent. And if they miss the playoffs this year after making a coaching change that clearly didn't make the team better, whew, it'd be hard to justify keeping the same people in charge in Florida right now. But. Uh, before we close it out too much, there's a couple topics that the chat is asking for. Uh, first of all, I don't know if you saw this, Rachel, but uh, some, somebody who watches the show, Thomas, uh, tagged me in an article earlier today that I went through and read, 
and it was by an Oilers writer. <laughs> Oh, like no. Edmonton Media, and they suggested a trade for Jesse Puliyarvi to go to Montreal. With, that would be a great fit. It would be a great fit with a 2023 first round pick, protected, lottery protected. So, like, at least that's smart. But Jesse Puliyarvi and the 2023 first for Joel Edmondson, and I believe it was like a 2024 first. Or like a twenty-four, like a, or maybe it was twenty-four, twenty-four second. But um, are Oilers media insane? Because what? <laughs> I can't even tell if that's serious or not. Because I it could was probably, serious. I could guess that it came from like one of four people, and I'd probably be right. But I like, have to look it up. There is only one team, and I'm being dead serious. Like, I researched this. There is one team that is worse at developing forwards than the Edmonton Oilers. And it's the New York Rangers. <laughs> like, literally, one team that is worse. And then you have Montreal, who has Adam Nicholas, who is one of the best development minds on this planet. And I have no doubt that if he got in the hands of Adam Nicholas or Daryl Belfry, that Jesse Puglia-Yarvey would be a 50-point scorer within two seasons. I am being fully serious right now. I would, if I was Montreal, first of all, I don't know that I'd be giving up any first-round picks at all for anybody, because that seems like a terrible idea. But in the case of Jesse Puglia-Yarvey, if he could be had for a fourth or fifth-round pick, I am making that trip. Like, I'm sending Jeff Molson's plane to Edmonton so fast. Like, you wouldn't even be able to tell the tower on time at the Edmonton airport. Like, it's a no-brainer for me. Um, Jesse Pugliarvi for Joel Edmonton is absolutely something I would do, and I would not even think twice about it. Oh, like, I would call the NHL and be like, please do this before they say no. Like, <laughs> okay, uh, Thomas put the actual trade here in the chat. He says... There's two options. Uh, option one is a lottery-protected 2023 first-round pick, Jesse Puliyarvi, and a 2024 fifth-round pick, or an unprotected 2024 first-round pick, Puliyarvi, and a 2024 fifth-round pick, for Joel Edmondson, a 2024 sixth-round pick, and the Canadians retain 500k of Edmondson's Edmondson's contract. I, do it that now. Trade would be worse than the Ben Chirot trade. Wow. Like, it if not as bad, probably worse. Like, you... <laughs> no. And people say, oh, well, he hasn't had success with McDavid and Dreisaitl, so, like, how good can he be? He, But, like, he has. He literally has when he's played there. So, I don't... But the problem is, is they won't leave him there. And Edmonton screwed up his injury, I think it was like two years ago, so badly that he was like, I'm going to go play in Finland. Yep. Like, oh my gosh. No. I, But I absolutely would do Jesse Puglia-RV for Joel Edmondson, and then I would turn around and say that Montreal won that trade. Yeah, you'd run as fast as you possibly oh my could. God. I get big Val Nikushkin vibes from Jesse Puglia-RV, and I know it's not the exact same. I don't know if he has the wheels that Nikushkin has. But it's just like the big body, the defensive awareness, all the pieces are there. They just haven't put it together yet. 
And I feel like people are going to point to like Josh Anderson as like the big guy who has wheels and can shoot, but like Josh Anderson doesn't have the playmaking or the defensive awareness that uh, Jesse Pugliarvi does. Uh, no, I feel like Pugliarvi <laughs> is the type of guy that, given another organization with a bit more of a development mindset, he turns into like an actual really good power forward. Yeah, I completely agree with that, and I actually think the Val Nichushkin comparison is a very accurate one. I, I think that that's, that's actually exactly in the mold of what he can turn into. I'm not going to sit here and suggest that he's going to be the key piece on a Stanley Cup winning team, but I think if you can get Puyi um some actual help, and I think people think development stops or like you hit your peak or whatever, um, there's a reason that old guys somehow seem to stay in the league and it's because they continuously work with development guys to get better. That's kind of how that works. Like Eric Carlson didn't accidentally just like get better this year. He did a ton of work. And I think if you do that with Pooley Yarvi on a cup contending team, he's probably a third line winger who, if there's injuries can absolutely play a second line role. Which is a valuable, valuable player. Like on a cup contender, that's a that's a big deal. Thinking of guys like Yanni Gord, right? I know he plays center, but guys who can jump up the lineup, it they're big. They go for big money, right? Look at Blake Coleman in Calgary, what he did for the Lightning. Barclay Goudreau cup. signed to umpteen million dollars in yeah, New York. That, that's not so great of a contract. <laughs> <laughs> that is not fantastic. No, <laughs> no, it's not. And uh, I guess the last one that we have to get to before I let you go, Rachel, is there's a lot of talk about Kirby Doc right now. He's back at center with uh, the injuries that the Canadians have, uh, especially with Jake Evans uh, getting hurt the other night away from the Caulfield Suzuki uh, tandem. And he's killing it. He's absolutely crushing it. He's doing great work. And once again, just like when the Canadians traded for Phil Deneau and a bunch of Blackhawks fans said, this guy sucks, perimeter player, doesn't know how to score, blah, 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 blah. Phil Deneau was a fantastic Montreal Canadian. Same thing happened with Doc. This guy's selfish, can't pass, terrible player. And Doc has arguably been, in terms of a total impact forward, not just offense, the Canadians' best forward this season. I wanna... The only caution that I have with the celebration of his play while he moves to center is like people look at uh, Suzuki and Caulfield's underlying numbers and they kind of crater without him. And yeah, he's a huge part of that line. But also, those two guys are drawing the top lines every night. Like tonight, they were out there defending the lead with, with a minute left. And I know it was a three goal lead, but Suzuki and Caulfield have a tough job. And a lot of pressure on them. Whereas Doc, I think further down the lineup, even if it's just one line, a little bit easier, but I'm very encouraged by his play at center. Yeah, so um, the Canucks hired Jeremy Colleton this summer to coach their AHL team. And I actually um, spent quite a bit of time with him uh, in the lead up uh, to kind of September, whatever. And I, I asked him about Kirby Doc. Because I was curious, obviously, uh, he coached him in Chicago. And then there was all of this hullabaloo at the draft about and the Canucks were involved in that hullabaloo. Um, But I asked him, I said, what do you think Doc turns into in Montreal? And he said that this is where I think he should play. 
And if they get his development right, there is a very real chance there's a 70 point forward there at some point. And I'm like, so you're telling me they just gave up on a, a guy who could have 70 points. And he goes, yep. I'm like, okay. And lo and behold, I think he got an assist tonight, like a beautiful play. Is that not 51 or 52 points? Uh, the pace, uh, I believe. It's, he was yeah, on like pace for on 50 pace. points before the game, yeah. So he's on he's on pace for like 50-ish points. And this is his first year out of that situation. So I think, first of all, I think Jeremy Colleton's probably right. Um, and at a very minimum, Kirby Doc and Montreal deserve a ton of credit for one, the situations like Marte St. Louis putting him in situations to succeed. He was not put in those situations in Chicago. Two, he's being insulated. He is not considered the savior of any franchise or anything. And three, I think they're doing a really good job of just letting him develop. I see that he's on the ice with Adam Nicholas, and then I see that he's on after practice, and I see that he's playing in various positions, and I think that it's a testament to the fact that he worked really hard this summer to earn those opportunities, but then that Montreal recognized that and said, we need to give him these opportunities, and it's paying off in spades. We're talking about a, a guy that's probably going to have 50 points this year, and he's still extremely young. Like, do not be surprised if this guy has 65 or 70 points at some point in his career. Yeah. Especially with a team that's a little bit better. Right. I mean, that's like the continuing thing that I keep on talking about. Cole Caulfield is like, yeah, he scored 48 and 82 with no one around him. Really? I know he plays with Suzuki, but like there's no one else on other lines to draw checks. Everyone like can I, focus every game. Like every pregame scout is like, okay, we gotta stop this one guy. And he's still I would doing say with it. Caulfield, like, I don't think he's gonna score it. Like, I don't think he's Ovechkin Mm-mm. or Matthews. Like, I don't think he's that. But I absolutely believe he's gonna score fifty in this league, and I think he'll be a consistent forty goal scorer. I think he kind of falls along that scale where it's like, okay, he's scoring forty every year, and like maybe a couple years he's got fifty two, fifty three. But most years, he's probably like 47, 46 kind of area. And for a guy who I was told couldn't play in the NHL because he was a small, I think averaging like 40 plus goals a year counts as making it. So we're just going to go with that. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And I feel like he doesn't necessarily need to score more goals to be better too, right? Like he can round out other no. parts of his game by being a little bit more free on the ice. And I, I think we're starting to see that a little bit as well over yeah. the last few weeks here um justin baron 2.9 in front of his parents says the chat 100 love that great night for him he the canadians named him first star after the game too which is like so, so cheesy nice. but i i love it it's so cute in front of his Once parents again, montreal great. getting it right <laughs> yeah just like because three stars don't matter do it for yeah. fun do it for like emotions that's great i love it um actually before we go we do have to talk about what we always have to talk about when the canadians play the jets is Pierre-Luc Dubois. We talked about it when we were chatting before the show. <laughs> there was a bunch of questions about whether Pierre-Luc Dubois will be a Montreal Canadian when his contract is over. My question for you, Rachel, is does he fit and do the Canadians even need him two years from now? Uh, no and no. Although I'm 100% going to get screamed at because he's French and we need a quota of French players on the team. But the issue you have, so you have Nick Suzuki, 
right? And I don't think there's any denying. Like, is Nick Suzuki the number one center on a cup-winning team? Maybe not, given that other teams have, like, McDavid. Someone's going to have Bedard at some point. Nathan McKinnon exists. Like, that's. I think we can agree that those players are a step above Nick. Yep. But Pierre-Luc Dubois uh, is not as good as Nick Suzuki. And Pierre-Luc Dubois is not only not as good as Nick Suzuki, he goes controller unplugged in his defensive zone far too often. He did it tonight Yep. on multiple occasions. And when you are somebody who is as large as Pierre-Luc Dubois is, you have the ability to be a dominant two-way center in this league. You just do. And there is no reason he couldn't be, but he's just not. And so he's going to command a ton of money and there's going to be social pressures to get him to Montreal. And I'm pretty sure he wants to play there, but buddy, if you want to play in Montreal, like that contract cannot be more than $7 million. Yep. Like it just can't because on a cup winning team, Pierre-Luc Dubois is like probably a third line center or a second line winger because he's just not dependable enough in the middle for you to lock it down and he's he's not offensive enough to be dominant on a cup winning team so i just if montreal is truly building a cup contender i don't see where pierre-luc dubois fits because i think nick suzuki fills the second line role on a cup winning team and he's just a better option than pierre-luc dubois is yeah and especially, I think, when you see the development of Kirby Doc here, right? It's like, he's signed for several more years at a relatively cheap rate. Like, it, it already looks like a steal, that contract. So, And he's probably should... that third-line center, right? Yeah, exactly, right? So, if you're spending second-line money for Pierre-Luc Dubois, he has to now outperform that. Like, where does he, he fit in the hierarchy if you're going to be a cup contender? Unless you have like the craziest defense core and like amazing wingers where you can have like a Suzuki Dubois doc three line, three scoring line situation. I, don't know, I just don't see any teams that are really built like that. That can af- number one, afford to do that with the cap and like find those players to fit the right combination. Right. It, it, to me that I'm with you in the, the secret to the Canadians getting to cup contending status is as much as I think that Nick Suzuki could be a first-line center in the NHL, you contend for a cup with him at 2C, and then you have a guy like Bedard, like a superstar, as your 1C. Yeah. They need to find that somewhere, whether it's this draft or, like I if, don't know, if, magic. If if Montreal gets one of Leo Carlson or Adam Fantilli, there's your number one center. Like, that's it, right? And you're not going to sit here and be like, I'd rather have Pierre-Luc Dubois because he's French. Would you rather have Pierre-Luc Dubois because he's French or a Stanley Cup? Like what? I, I, that's kind of the, and you see this with other teams too. It's like, oh, Toronto wants Toronto guys. Do you want Toronto guys or do you want a cup? Like, yeah. w- what are you doing here? You can't, as a management team, you can't have that. And I believe Nick Suzuki has made the commitment that he is going to learn French. Uh, and already is or something like that. I just think that I understand Montreal's fan base. It is different. But if you want to win, I think the role of 2C has already been filled. 
And if you want Pierre-Luc Dubois as a winger, not more than $6 million. Yeah. And, like, frankly, I have nothing against finding great impact Francophone players or local players. Either do I. But you don't have to force it, right? Right. You don't have to shove a square peg into a round hole to fill that quota. I don't want to say quota is the wrong word. But I, I feel like every team, if they have their way, has a couple of local players who understand the city and the market more than like an average player would, right? Who bleed for that crest, who grew up fans of that team. It just puts it to the next level. You look at Mitch Marner in Toronto, and I know Toronto has a wealth of opportunity because Toronto is such a big city. Ontario is such a big population. But even like Ottawa. Ottawa has a ton of players from the Ottawa region. Oh, Giroux. Yep. And, right? and you, you know, look like you look at him this year. They're terrible, and Claude Giroux is playing great. Yeah, like there's something to absolutely. And do I think Pierre Luc Dubois would probably be better in Montreal? Yeah, I do. I just don't think he'd be worth the eight-ish million dollars that he's going to likely get. And I think it's better for the league and it's better for hockey when Montreal is good in the same way that it's better for hockey when Toronto is good, when the Rangers are good, when the Bruins are good, like it's better. It just is. Everybody makes more money. TV people are happy. Everybody's happy because that's just kind of how it works, whether you like it or not. And if Montreal has a superstar French player, like I so badly wanted them to get Alexi Lafreniere, like so bad. I wanted it, and I kind of think they could trade for him because he's another one of those players that the New York Rangers just have messed up royally. Yeah. And I think he could be had, and could you imagine if he hit in Montreal, the pandemonium that that would cause? And he's a winger. He is somebody that you could probably just put on the other side of Caulfield and Suzuki, and that would be an insane line. So for me, like if I'm Montreal, I'd rather go out and get Lafreniere. If I'm if I'm focused on getting a French player, a good one, that's the guy that I'm looking at. Yeah. And you trust that, you know, working with Adam Nicholas, you bring out what we saw from him in junior, right? And he's had I have a, no doubt. Like, yeah. His first two seasons in New York were okay. They weren't amazing, but they were okay. This year's like shooting percentage is also a factor, right? But I know that his numbers overall have created a bit. But I wonder, like, what do you give up for Lafreniere? Do you give up, like, Kirby Doc? Well, I don't think that you're giving up Kirby Doc now. Um, I it, It's tough to say. The thing is, is Montreal's in such a great position from a prospect perspective that they could give up a prospect. They, You know what? They probably could give up a player off their roster i don't know maybe new york wants daddy right maybe they want to get it done enough because new york's trying to win now. who doesn't want daddy rachel this is true everybody loves daddy um new york's trying to win now like panarin zabanajad uh that igor shishorkin's pretty good adam fox pretty good like that's they're in their win now mode and so if you give them someone who can help them win now i think that's probably the root. And I don't think Kirby Doc is that player. <laughs> Joel Edmondson, LOL, is that player. Um, that <laughs> Josh would be Anderson. so funny. Um, don't even I actually think they would take Josh Anderson. I, um, I think they would too. Yeah. I think there could be something there where it's like a mix of like here's a player that you can use to win now, and then like here's either like a prospect or a whatever. Like 
there could be something there, but I just think that a player like Alexi Lafreniere has so much to benefit from working with Adam Nicholas, whereas Pierre-Luc Dubois, I, I don't think there is as much runway in terms of development. Like, I think he's closer to his ceiling than Lafreniere is to his. And then you add that, like, going from Gerard Gallant as your coach to Martin St. Louis might be helpful. Yeah. So yeah, I'm on the Lafreniere to Montreal train, and I'm sure that's going to piss off no one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's been circulated here a lot lately. I mean, we had uh, one of the pundits who has made some insane trade uh, proposals yep. a couple years ago. He said <laughs> that, that they should trade Suzuki for Wayne Simmons, and uh, t- uh, a couple days ago said that they should trade Cole Caulfield for Lafreniere. No, because you know that makes sense. Oh, no, no. <laughs> There's, there are like two players I would not include in a Lafreniere trade, and it's those two. I would trade Slavkovsky for Lafreniere. Yeah, I think Lafreniere's I mean, first round pick for a first round pick. It's like understandable. Yeah, it's literally one one for one. But that. But again, I feel like that probably doesn't appeal as much to the Rangers, right? Because they want to win now, and Slav is a project, right? right? But, exactly. Yeah. Right, it's it's going to be I'm Josh saying. Anderson. Oh, yeah, baby. It's going to be Josh one. Anderson or getting that off. You just know it. Oh, my God. That'd be, yeah, and Cole Caulfield liked the tweets, the the trade thing. And <laughs> oh, I believe man. that night scored twice. So he was he was pissed. He didn't like it. So <laughs> he like liked it and unliked it. So love it from Cole Caulfield. We love the spite. All right, that's all we have for you tonight. Thanks so much to Rachel for joining us here. Where You can follow her on Twitter. And also, Rachel's got some cool TikToks up now you can follow her on tiktok what's the what's the at on there puck bucks puck bucks where she's explaining the salary cap and contracts all that stuff you can check it out it's really fun and keeps on getting better content it's super fun anything else that you want to promote rachel um yeah you can find me on the staff and graph podcast i'm officially back with a podcast that i started and own um yeah we'll be doing that twice a week so between Twitter and TikTok and the podcast, that's where I'll be. Um, yeah, I'm, I've got draft rankings coming out this week. Um, they're not really my opinion. They're just the draft model that I built based on um, my masters. And so I'll be interested to kind of see um, how they compare to other people's and, and what people think. All right. Check it out, everyone. Thanks for joining us here tonight. And we'll be back with you on Thursday when the Canadians take on the Florida Panthers in what every Canadians fan will really hope is not a three-point game. Just not a three-point game. (laughs) That's all they need to avoid in that one. (laughs) Get those picks as high as they are, or as high as they can be. We'll see you then. Game over! Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook.